This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping can take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello again and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and I'm joined, as always, by my older, dare I say, wiser brother and real-life economist, Thomas. How are you going, Thomas? Yeah, good, thanks, Adam. That's the nicest thing you've ever said about me. I think it might be, actually. Mm. <laughs> uh, hey, I just wanted to mention, too, before we get started, that anyone out there maybe got some questions, want to reach out to us, contact us, give us some feedback, tell us how we're going, you can always email us at cve at equitymates.com. So we'd love to hear from you. If you've got thoughts you want to share or questions maybe for Thomas or even me, then send us an email. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. So look, Thomas, we're about midway through our intro series where we talk about economics 101, I guess. Uh, we've been through uh, some, of the real, some of the basics. We've talked about the economics dashboard where we've got GDP and unemployment and interest rates, inflation, currency and asset prices. So we're we're getting into it now. Last week, we talked about how, how, I guess, the macroeconomic factors affect the share market, which was very interesting. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. This week, though, particularly interesting for me, I want to think about, I want to, I want to, I want to ask you about what, what are we looking at in terms of the property market? I know you've done quite a lot of work uh, looking at the property market. I'm a homeowner. I've got a, a mortgage. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of other people out there that have got one as well. So, Thinking about our economics dashboard and we've got GDP and unemployment, interest rates and stuff, what are the things that we're interested in in terms of the property market and how should we be thinking about investing in the property market, property as an asset class, what are we looking for? Yeah, property is quite interesting. In terms of the macro factors, a lot of the same factors that influence share prices have the same impact on property prices. So if we go through our dashboard, if the economy is growing, that tends to have a positive impact on uh, property prices and similar way has an impact on share prices. Unemployment uh, has a particular impact on uh, the property market because people need jobs to be able to get loans. And so this, there's a stylized fact that you only see property prices fall in recessions and in periods of unemployment when people are unable to meet, meet their mortgage repayments. And so that unemployment data point becomes becomes key because you really need that to see that tick up quite high and have it and sustained high remain at a sustained high level before you're going to see property prices fall right and we've seen that we've seen that with covid right so you know obviously covid has had a pretty significant impact on lots of people uh, unemployment has gone up i don't know is it still up uh, I'm not sure and so as a result of that we saw 
house prices fall, do we? Property prices, but not maybe not as significantly as everyone thought. Is that because things like JobKeeper and JobSeeker were able to keep the market running? Yeah, that's right. So typically people don't sell unless they have to. And there were a number of measures that came in during COVID that stopped that having to coming into effect. So you had the JobKeeper and job seeker supplement so that held up household income so people were able to make their re- mortgage repayments you also had mortgage deferrals that was a really big factor so oh the mortgage um, holiday mortgage holiday <laughs> that's right <laughs> the term that could have only come up in marketing uh the mortgage holiday where everyone got to take a holiday from their mortgage um but unlike a regular holiday where well i guess maybe a lot like a regular holiday in a sense um you'd be paying for it for a fair while after it that's right. Uh, particularly if you, if you use your credit card while you're on holidays, a bit like a mortgage holiday where you still have to pay for it, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, it sort of got pushed back. At you know, yeah, you just it just rolled out. You still had to pay it back in the same amount of time. I mean, I think I still think it was a you know a good deal for people who you know were were facing hard economic times. Having that mortgage deferral would have definitely helped a lot of people. And I think it did. It stopped four sales coming onto the market. And the number of properties sold through the COVID period, and we're talking now at December, and it's sort of like we're almost looking at it in the rearview mirror now. Yeah, the the property number of transactions fell, and so that mortgage deferrals really stopped four sales coming onto the market. And with that, you know, without that supply coming on, without that big boost in supply, then we didn't see prices fall. And I think nationally, I think prices at the moment are only down three percent. So. Wow. Almost a negative. Almost had COVID's almost had no impact on the property market that we've seen so far. Right, that's pretty amazing. So, okay, so getting back to our dashboard, we've got unemployment um, that is obviously one of the key key things that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. GDP obviously comes into it. Sorry, um, interest rates on the other side of the dashboard comes into it pretty significantly as well when we're talking house prices. Um, obviously, people who want to buy a house or who've already got one, the the RBA's you know cash rate or the interest rate. Is that the is that the, the biggest factor in the home loan rates? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It all it all swings off that. Yeah, it's it's um and in terms of property prices, it's almost the only game in town. So I think there was a study I saw a year or so ago saying that eighty one percent of house price movements can be explained by interest rates. And so yeah, it really because it, and it, it makes sense because your ability the the mortgage that you can afford really mm. depends on the interest payments that you've got to you've got to stump up with. And right. so yeah, property prices swing with with interest rates. Okay. And so like I'm a homeowner, right? This is particularly interesting to me. Um, the big question is how do we know it, like a lot of banks are fixing their interest rates now, uh, offering pretty good fixed interest rates, you know, historically speaking. How do we know when we've hit the bottom? How do we how can we kind of predict interest rate movements? Can we? Or is that the job for people who are far more experienced than us? Well, uh, <laughs> I say us. <laughs> far more experienced than you and have some sense of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's notoriously difficult to pick. Um, a lot of people spend a lot of time uh, trying to get a, get a bit of a view of where it's going. I think probably as a homeowner, you shouldn't worry too much. You should, you should make sure you've got a bit of a buffer there that you know you can afford to keep making repayments if interest rates rise to some extent you, mm. you want to make sure you have that buffer but I, I definitely as a homeowner you I don't think you'd be buying and on the basis of your outlook for the interest for interest rates yeah right you, you want to have 
you want to have a little bit of wriggle room. <laughs> Given that it's like a 30-year commitment or whatever it is, like you know, you can't be like, well, it's 2020 and interest rates are at 2%. If they ever reach, if they ever reach six, <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble, but surely that won't happen. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is a long-term commitment, and I think for homeowners, it's it's not something you want to be too stressed about because also, like over, you know, interest rates in five years might be quite different from what they are now. But your financial situation could be quite different by then as well. Like you might have had a pay rise, you might have found a better job, um, you know. So <laughs> you might have stopped being a comedian and actually got some income, got a real job, got a real yeah. job. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I think as a homeowner, you, you shouldn't be too stressed about it. But I think it's it's one of the interesting things. One of the things that makes property unique as an asset class is that you do have this mix of uh, owner occupiers and investors. So you've got people who are treating it purely as a financial vehicle, and you've got people who are treating it as a consumable, as something that they're actually going to live in. I think this is a timely point to remind people that none of this is financial advice, uh, and if you're at all, you know concerned about your own situation you should uh, go and speak with a licensed financial professional so uh, we'll just throw that in there but so those two those two types of people the um, the property investor versus the owner occupier they're thinking about the property market they should be thinking about it in totally different ways is that what you're saying uh yeah yeah I mean, are they yeah. thinking about different parts of the dashboard are they is one of them like not thinking about interest rates so much and the and the other one is all about interest rates or is it kind of more nuanced yeah. than that yeah i think uh i think i think investors definitely care more about the outlook for the for the for the data and how that's going to influence capital gain mm. and the yield they get through rents yeah they, they're going to be more interested in it and and yeah so an owner occupiers i think probably shouldn't they should really be only focused on whether they're going to be able to keep keep affording to pay their make their repayments or not that should really be the only factor they're thinking about right but it's, it's interesting as a as an asset class that you do have these owner occupiers because it's something you don't have in the share market so you know if you're buying bhp shares you're buying as an investor no one's buying bhp shares because they need bhp shares they don't need to put you know they don't need the shares to put a roof over their head or something mm. what if you bought um, shares in the holiday inn <laughs> <laughs> are they even around yeah. anymore i don't know maybe that's why they failed not enough not enough all these owners and nobody was occupying it yeah but it does create this interesting dynamic in in the in the property market and one of the things you've seen in COVID is that um investor interest in the market has fallen so we've seen investor mortgages go backwards with there's less investors coming into the property market than there were pre-COVID but mm. we've seen owner occupiers take up that slack and so we've seen something of a pivot away from investor investors to owner occupiers and so and that's that's been an interesting sort of dynamic and that's not something you see in in the share market isn't it like if there's a there's a you know kind of to, to my naive view, there's an interesting parallel between, say, institutional investors versus, you know, the flood of retail investors that came on with the, the Robin Hoods of the world uh, and started buying up during COVID. Is there no correlation? <laughs> this might be a really tenuous <laughs> link. Is there no correlation? If, can we think of the uh, property investors as like the institutional type investors versus owner occupiers as the retail type investor? 
No. Or is that just too long a bow to draw? That's a, yeah. Am I just wanting to create a like a link where there really isn't one? Yeah, yeah. I think no, there isn't really one. I mean, if you want to think about institutional investors, you don't really see institutional investors uh, in the buy and hold market. Um, that in Australia, by and large, that's driven by what you sort of call mum and dad retail investors. Right. Yeah, institutional investors. You don't see hedge funds buying up you know, houses to then rent out to people. You saw a bit of that in the US, US following the GFC and there's some apartment blocks being built on a sort of rent-to-own basis. Um, so the, the developer buys it and holds onto the properties and rents them out and becomes the landlord. But you don't really see that. And so you don't see so much institutional money holding property, holding investment properties. Mm. Is it because it's too hard to, to get out quickly if you need to? Like is that, is that one of the, the main reasons? Because, you know, like a, a share market, you know, there's plenty, plenty of liquidity in the share market. You can just go, mm. oh, no, COVID version two, um, getting out. Whereas, it, you know, it's much harder to sell a piece of property. Yeah, yeah, that's probably part of it. But with the yield probably aren't as attractive to, head, to, to big money, to the institutional money. Um, What's the yield? Like the percent that you make? Yeah, the rent that you rent you're getting as a percent of the property's value. Right. So the return on the asset. Um, it's probably not as juicy managing being a landlord's a bit of a headache mm, not as glamorous as being a, a, a hotshot hedge fund manager <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. someone who's like wheeling and dealing and buying Berkshire Hathaway versus <laughs> someone who's running an apartment block <laughs> yeah, yeah. Frankston or something so um, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. leave the leave the party I gotta go fix the taps <laughs> Uh, well there's always there's always uh money to be made where people don't want to get their hands dirty that's what i've always what i've always heard you know Mm. if if you if you are willing to take on the less glamorous role of um of maintenance guy at an apartment block then you don't have to pay someone else to do it so all right well look uh, i think that's probably a good spot we might take a quick break uh, and grab a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to talk more property macro after this Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, we're back on Comedian versus Economist. So Thomas, we've got property investors versus owner-occupiers. I guess I'm interested, what are the other differences between when we're thinking about investing in the property market versus the share market, for example? Like how, what things are we looking at there? Another key difference there is the leverage that you get into property versus into shares. 
So if you went into a major bank, one of the big four banks, and said, mm. I really love you guys. I think you're an amazing company. I want to buy $100,000 worth of your shares and I want to borrow some money to do that. You know, and they might look at you and go like, yeah, you're, you're awesome too. You're the best you- customer we've ever had. <laughs> we've never had this kind of feedback. <laughs> Can star ratings just went up. So nice. <laughs> Um, yeah, they might they might look at you and go, yeah, you've got good asset base, good good serviceability. Um, yeah, we're happy to lend to you. If you can stump up fifty grand, we'll stump up the other fifty, right? And you can buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of shares. And so there's something like that. You might get like a what we call a fifty percent loan to valuation ratio. The loan relative to the value of the of the asset that you're buying is about fifty percent. LVR. I've seen LVR before. LVR. Yeah. Never knew what it, never knew what it was. Yeah, right. There you go. And I've got a home loan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's the LVR. That's the loan-to-valuation ratio. Now, in property, the loan-to-valuation ratios can get very high. So you can get up to 95% LVR, which is the equivalent of you going and and them going like, yeah, if you can chip in five grand, we'll lend you the other 95 that you need. Okay. Um, But they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that for investing in the share market, but they will do it for uh, for property, for residential property. Is that because the risk is lower? Yeah, that's right. Typically, the risks are lower. The um, there's less volatility in share, in property prices. They move around less on a sort of month to month basis. Um, there's also this is another key difference is that the the downside is limited. So. With the equity, you're buying ownership in a company. So if the if the company goes bankrupt, and a lot of companies do eventually go bankrupt, um, the share value, the equity value, the ownership value goes to zero. Yep. Um, and so that you know, there's a real real chance that the that they're lend they're, they're lending money against an asset that has no value anymore. I that, should point out at this point too, Thomas is recording inside an aviary. If anyone can hear the birds in the background. <laughs> It's probably not the best choice for a podcast recording location, but, you know, this is episode five now. Thomas is making demands about where and when he'll record. So coming to you from a bird-ridden aviary. Yeah, I just like the ambience of birds. (laughs) Bring me peace. (laughs) So that doesn't happen in property. A property will never go to zero. No. Never never becomes totally worthless. I mean, one of the... What about like the Christopher Scase of the world where <laughs> didn't he sell a bunch of property that pretty much went to zero and get chased out of the country? This is going back a few years. I'm showing my age again. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't remember that one, Grandpa. I can't remember, <laughs> can't remember that. I think he built a resort, didn't he? Then he, he built a done. resort and then... Yeah, and but the then, resort still would have been worth something. It just might have, like, I don't know how he was running the financial. No, I think it was it. built, maybe, maybe it was built on a swamp. Oh, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Turns out there wasn't a big demand for swamp land after <laughs> the, swamp after the development fell through. <laughs> uh, yeah, swamp, true, but uh, nah, I'll take your point. swamp tourism market. Yeah. <laughs> like those Olympic villages after they've been, you know, not used for the Olympics anymore. I don't know if you've ever seen photos of like the Greek uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Olympic village after Athens 2000 and whatever it was, but there's just kind of, um, yeah, those... Properties, I'm sure, still not 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 worth zero, but they're not worth much. That's for sure. Mm. Anyway, yeah. So that so that's anyway. So that's what I mean. They they will value the property and make sure it's not on a swamp or something <laughs> before they lend to you. 
but typically like there's a there's you know council I hope that's or tick, I hope that's a tick box on a form somewhere <laughs> <laughs> some like property valuation form is it on a swamp <laughs> yes or no tick no every time yeah yeah so yeah so there's it's, it's almost never goes to zero and this comes to another another difference. So what you're buying when you're buying a property, you're actually buying two assets combined into a single single vehicle. So a property is both the land beneath the dwelling and the dwelling itself. Right. And so you're effectively getting two assets bundled together. Um, and they're interesting because typically they move in different directions. So the land appreciates, goes up in value, while the property depreciates, goes down in value. Because it just gets older and yeah, yeah. more run down and whatever. So, yeah. yeah, so you're kind of buying, effectively buying two assets. And so property investors, you know, like professional property investors think a lot more about the land value than they do about the dwelling value. Hmm. So that's sort of another key difference. You're sort of getting two assets bundled up together in one. Package deal. Package deal. <laughs> combo. Combo. Sweet combo. <laughs> All right, what else have we got? The other difference is the ongoing maintenance with a uh, with a property mm. so you, uh, if you're renting it out you need to maintain the property to a certain standard um, and that's going to cost you money and yeah. it sure costs it you and this is yeah and, and an unknown amount of money you can sort of like factor it in but it's what goes wrong with a property in any given year is, is difficult to predict and often when you're looking at the sort of the raw metrics around a property like yield for example so the rent re- relative to the value there's a bit of a trap for young players that you're not factoring in uh, how much maintenance costs are going to be. And those maintenance costs can vary with the age of the house and so on. One of the advantages of being an owner-occupier that I've found is you can really let the maintenance slide for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have issues, say, with your plumbing, you can have a crack yourself at fixing it and not actually pay a professional plumber. Um, I actually dug a hole in my shed to unearth some pipe and <laughs> it, yeah. went, it went remarkably well in the end, let's say that. Yeah. So there you go. Good news. Little tip. <laughs> Little money tip there from from Adam. <laughs> do your own plumbing. Do your own. Do your own plumbing. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that, I take your point. Maintenance costs are. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't have maintenance costs of equities. Yeah. And if you say so if you own a share, that's right. They're not going to come after you and want you to fix the lawns or whatever. <laughs> No, well, you right. well, I guess it's all part of the ownership, though. I mean, obviously they're paying, you know, um, you know, Apple's headquarters. They're paying someone mm. to mow the lawns out the front. They look pretty schmick. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all part of the, you know the costs of the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't doesn't come out of your pocket. No, once no. you bought it. Um, and is that a good point? Is that a good point to talk about negative gearing? Because is is that? I don't know much about negative gearing except that baby boomers do it. <laughs> and they've made tons of money by doing it, and everyone's and everyone who's not a baby boomer is kind of annoyed that they get to do it. Is that a fair summary? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not. That's not bad. I wouldn't wouldn't quibble with that. <laughs> can I do it? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone Good. can do it. Any, yeah. So, so basically, basically, what negative gearing is is if if you're earning less on your property than it's costing you to hold it, including uh, the mortgage payments that you've got on the property. So Mm. typically you borrow to buy an investment property. That means you've got mortgage repayments on that investment property uh, loan. Um, If you're earning less than it's costing you, 
you're losing money. Mm. If you're losing money, you can offset that against your income and reduce your income tax. Right. Okay. Um, oh, that's good. Mm. Mm. And that's an that's an important difference. Like that's not something you can do as a as a as a share investor. If you're investing in the share market, if your shares are losing money, if you you know lose capital gain or something, you can't then turn around and go like, oh well, I want a discount on my on my on my income tax. Yeah. Right. So even if yeah. if I buy shares in a in a company, let's use Apple as an example again, and mm-hmm. Apple my shares go down, that's just I just have to write that off as a loss to me, and I can't use that in any way to no, offset my right. interest, my my income tax. Yeah. So Whereas if if, 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 if I sell loss, if you sell yeah. the shares for mm-hmm. less than you bought them and you and you you know crystallize that loss and you've mm-hmm. actually made a capital loss, yeah, that's just on you. You can't just wear you can't it. offset. Yeah. Yeah. So negative gearing wasn't always around. I think. Howard brought it in in 1999, something like that. Um, yeah. And so it's a particular perk that's offered to property investors. Well, why, why is everyone outraged about boomers getting it more than anyone else? Is it just because they've got more property? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it, like it wasn't targeted at people born in a particular year. It, was just, it just came in at a time where boomers were at their sort of peak property buying age. They had right. the money to do it. Um, and so, yeah, and so did it. And, and sort of, it's sort of like it, it's a sort of a negative carry that you're you're losing money on the property on with the hope that it goes up in capital value. So you you know you lose five grand a year mm. for five years and then hope that you've made two hundred thousand capital gain at the end of that. And so it it's fine. That's sort of how the, the basic strategy works. Yeah. Okay. Um, and without getting into tax to tax law. Mm. Um, You've still got to pay a capital gain at the end of it, don't you? Like, like so, mm. so you write off the the losses on the maintenance against your income tax, but then you still pay a capital gains tax at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. You would. I think we've yeah. stumbled across something less interesting than economics. <laughs> tax. <Yeah. laughs> no, it's good to understand. I mean, I don't really, you know, I don't really understand. And I, I keep hearing mm. about. Um, uh, negative gearing in the news and I've, and I've never mm. really taken the time to kind of understand it or think about how I could make it work how I could mm. tap into it like um yeah probably probably what I would say about negative gearing is that so the property investors that I work with um don't recommend negative gearing because once you if you're losing money that starts affecting your serviceability and so if you're trying right. to grow a portfolio if you're losing money on a bunch of properties, at some point the bank's just going to cut you off. Yeah, and okay. So, so <laughs> you don't look like you're very smart either. Yeah. <laughs> you're not doing this right. Yeah. <laughs> so let me get this right. You're a property investor and you're, you, you've bought six properties and you're losing money on every single one of them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Fair enough. And, and, and what they would say is often that it's sort of, People buy ne- negatively geared properties on the on the advice of their accountant, when the accountant's purely looking to minimise tax. Yeah, um, and if you if you you know, and if, but that's not re- that's not really how you should be arranging your finances. You know, you're if you're trying to build wealth, minimising tax is sort of a vehicle to build wealth. It's not it's not an end in itself. So you shouldn't be mm. investing in properties with with the view to minimising your tax. No, it's you not should the just be right doing. You should, should just be doing more cash jobs. <laughs> All right. Financial tip. <laughs> so what? Yeah. What else have we got? Anything else you want to cover off today before we let before we, before we get going? 
Probably the probably the big thing is that the big difference with property is that you can change the nature of the asset itself. You can uh, change what the property is, and there's a number of ways you could do that. So you might rezone the property. So it might be you know it might be rural land that gets rezoned into residential. Um, you might be able to subdivide the property, so split the property into two lots. You might be able to add a granny flat. You might be able to turn it into a, a boarding house or something and increase the number of rentable doors. Um, the what? Rent- rentable doors. I've rentable never heard doors. that term before. Yeah, that's, that's a term. How many rentable doors you've got in your house? Mm-hmm. So if you've got a house and a granny flat out the back, you've got two rentable doors. Oh. Or if you've got a spare work. room, rentable door. Rentable door could be yeah. There's regulations around that. <laughs> you can't just there's your door over there, the back, the back garden. It's a bit weathered. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah, only that, thinking that, about doors at the moment because um, my father-in-law is staying with us, and he's carried. He he found this um this wooden door that's a particular wood. I forget what it is, maple or something. And it's, 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 the, it's his prized possession. We've just moved it from his old house to the new one. It's been, it's, he's, he's held this door for 40 years with the intention of making it into a table at some point, but it's been sat out in the weather for 40 years. It's wow. like, it's, I don't even think it would burn. That's the state that it's in. Um, wow. Still carrying it around from house to house. So shout out yeah, to you, Jeff. Just... Thanks, for, thanks for, for allowing me to help you move that yeah. cedar door it is. An cedar. old cedar door. Yeah. Yeah, he should yeah. rent it out. He should rent. That's what I'm thinking. We finally found a use after 40 years of carrying a door around. <laughs> we might be able to rent it out and finally make some money. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, but this, this, so that's the big difference between like so if you own a share in BHP or whatever, there's nothing that you can do about with that. You yeah. Know, that you're you're reliant on what the company does and what the what the market does that's how you're going to make money there's nothing that you can actively engage with that share mm. and change the nature of it and make it more valuable and that's the big difference with property and sort of where professional property investors that's where they really look so buy and hold is is a is a strategy that's how you can make money in property you buy it hold on to it it goes up in value and you sell mm. it and you make money so that's a buy and hold strategy and that is one way to make money, but you don't have much control in that story and you're reliant on the market. And so yeah, the property investors that I work with are much more interested in what can I do with the property? How can I you know, create value in this property? Maybe it's a renovation, maybe it's a flip, whatever it is. Mm. How, can I, how can I create value? And I think that's, that's sort of where yeah, those, those property investors will think about, think about property. Mm. Or at least how can I give the impression of value by... You know, doing a bodgy patch up on a wall, <laughs> which I've also seen done mainly in rentals. To be honest, that I've lived in over the years. Uh, all right, I reckon that's probably enough for today. Um, hopefully, you found that informative and useful. Um, we'll be back again next week. In the meantime, be sure to give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, leave us a review. Remember, you can always send us an email, cve at equitymates.com, or you can visit the website equitymates.com forward slash CVE. Um, thanks again to our good buddies at Equity Mates uh, for all of their support. And thank you for listening out there. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you again next week. This podcast is a production of Equity Mates Media. Any views expressed by the podcast hosts or any guest are their own and do not represent the views of Equity Mates Media or any other employer or associated organisation. Always remember, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal, or tax advice. 
The hosts of this podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to our disclaimer page where you can find resources to search for a registered financial professional. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.